So, for all of you guys, welcome. This is Church at Five, the English service for Calvary Chapel Freiburg. And uh, I'm Brandon. I'm one of the leaders here of this service. And if you're new here, I want to give you a special welcome and also let you know that uh, everybody here is a little bit new. We've only been going for a few months now. We started in uh, October last year. And I say that because I was thinking about it today or yesterday that it's, we're still so new and yet it's cool to see what God's been doing. And uh, there's just been a lot of stories where people have said that God's kind of reached into their hearts or led them in something or touched them in some way. And so it's really cool that, after, that we're so new and already God has started to work in this service and to bless this service. And it makes me excited. I'm encouraged to see what God has in mind for the future. I mean, when God's a part of it, I think we can get excited about the future. So I want to encourage you guys with that. I have a quick announcement I want to let everybody know. Uh, we announced it last week as well that Wednesday, this last Wednesday, was Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. And if you didn't know what Lent is, it's in German it's much more descriptive, Fastenzeit, fasting time, which is a, an easy way to understand what it is. It's basically a time of fasting that starts from Ash Wednesday, goes all the way to Easter Sunday. And uh, it's something that goes all the way back in our church history from the beginning of the church. And it's a cool way to honor God and to connect with Jesus as our Savior. He spent 40 days fasting in the desert, and so we're connecting with him in that way. And also, he laid down his life for us. And so we're kind of all right, I can give up chocolate because Christ has given up his body for us. And so uh, it's not a direct comparison, obviously. And it's different people give up different things. Some people actually fast food for 40 days. But uh, if God doesn't tell you to do that, don't do it because God has to sustain you uh, some other way because that's a long time without food. And for me personally, I'm giving up a few things. One of them is Netflix. I know, I know. Don't, don't test me on that over the next few weeks. <laughs> it's, uh, and I mean, it's something that in itself isn't a bad thing, but uh, the idea is to take that time that I would normally be watching my favorite series and spend more time in prayer, more time in the Word. And so if, I want to, I announce it again, even though we've already passed, because I want to encourage you guys, if you, it's not too late. You don't have, if you didn't start on Wednesday, it's still not too late to start that. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're interested, if you feel like maybe God's putting something on your heart that you want to give up for that, to kind of have that kind of sacrificial time uh, as a kind of reverence towards Christ, then uh, I want to encourage you to, to start that. And if you have any questions, you can, all, you can listen to the sermon that uh, Sam gave on Wednesday. It's in English and in German. And he really explained it and kind of went through the history of it. And it was really nicely placed. But uh, you can also come and talk to me after the service if you just want to know more information about that. So I just felt in my heart I wanted to kind of present that to you guys. Today, uh, we are currently going through the book of Judges and uh, Heroes and Villains. And it's an exciting series. And today, we're going to be diving into Gideon, one of my favorite uh, stories and the book of Judges is one full of heroes and villains. It's got these uh, unlikely heroes that we see God rise or raise up uh, out of 
seemingly nothing. And we also have tragedies, and there's some romance in the book, and all these different uh, kind of aspects and characters. And so we're not going to have time to go through the whole book kind of verse by verse, like we did with Galatians. We're doing the comic book version of it, looking at some key elements, some key characters that we can hopefully be inspired from, be challenged from, encouraged by, and uh, ultimately... With all of these judges that we're looking at, we want to be directed back to our judge today, our perfect judge, which is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate judge over our lives and uh, our ultimate savior. And all of these judges are images of Christ that we can kind of hopefully be reminded of and directed back to him as our savior. Last week, we looked at Deborah and uh, Alex Rohm was here and gave the 10 things that we need to know about sin. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to check it out. It's also online on the ccfreiburg.de. And today, as I said, we're going into Gideon. It's quite a long story. It, it spans three very long chapters. And so even in this story, unfortunately, we won't have to, the time to go through every bit verse by verse. Uh, I, I prepared, actually, to go through all of one chapter, and I tested it, and it was about an hour and a half, two hours long when I was trying to go quick. So I had to shorten it up a bit. But I think there's something really, a key element that we're going to be able to get from Gideon's story today. And this will be part one, and then we'll look at Gideon again next week. And um, before we dive in, let's take a minute, give this time over to God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have your word, that we can look at your word, we can study your word, and be reminded of you, be reminded of you, your love for us. And uh, as we look at these judges, God, that we're reminded of Jesus Christ, our ultimate judge, our perfect judge, our savior, and that we're desperately in need of him. And uh, I ask that you would open our hearts. I believe you have a message for us today that we're not here by accident, that there's a purpose and what you want to say to all of us today. So I ask that you open our hearts, open my heart and my mouth to speak your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So Gideon, uh, it starts in chapter 6 of the book of Judges. And uh, to begin the story of Gideon, I think first we need to understand a little bit more about the culture and the atmosphere of the people of Israel at this time. And because uh, I think it's easy for us to look at these stories in the Bible and kind of be quick to judge, kind of look at their mistakes and think, come on, you know, come on, man, get, pull it together a little bit. But uh, when we understand a little bit of the culture, we understand the climate that's going on, we can see that we may have a lot more in common with them, especially in their failures and their shortcomings than we may like to admit. So... Gideon especially is famous for his doubts and his fears in his testing of God and God's will for his life. And uh, I think this is something we can all relate to. I know I personally can. And so I'm excited to be looking at how Gideon dealt with that and how we can hopefully apply that to our lives today. But first, looking at the atmosphere, I'll start with verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. 
Now, you guys who were here maybe from the beginning of this series, I, as I did the introduction, we talked about the cycles that the people went through. And uh, all throughout the book of Judges, the Israelites kind of go through this cycle again and again. And so to kind of uh, bring us all into the same page, I want to go through that cycle. And so this seven years that they are, uh, that are under the hand of an oppressor, was follow was it was following uh, a time of peace uh, for forty years. So if we look at the last of chapter five, it says that there was forty years of peace, and uh, which brings us to our first stage of the cycle. If we're some people make a wheel, and this is kind of my interpretation of that cycle, and the first would be obedience, and this is during that time of peace. This is when they're obeying God. It doesn't mean everything's going well doesn't mean that they're living perfectly, and, uh, but they look to God as the Lord of their life. He is the one that they follow and that they worship ultimately. But this always led to disobedience, and we don't know exactly when it happens, but sometime during that 40 years of peace, the people, and we looked at this two weeks ago, that the people would start to forget. They would forget what God had done. They would forget who God was and uh, stop seeing him as their Lord, stop seeing them as the one who brought them out of Egypt, who led them through all of the trials that they had been through. And so they would fall into disobedience and uh, start building idols that they would worship. And we looked at that also a couple weeks ago, that they would, a lot of times they would go to the idols of the people around them. They would basically look at the world and what's, what are they worshiping, what's making them happy, and they would go to that rather than looking to their God, and something that we can also fall into. That leads to God's discipline. And this is where we see God handed them into the, put them into the hands of, of these oppressors for seven years. And we looked at that also already in the introduction, that God disciplines us out of love. And it's always with a goal, always with a purpose to bring us back to the right path. When we veer from God's will, he brings discipline to direct us back to him. And it's for his grace and for a good purpose for us. And it's never punishment. God doesn't punish us. He disciplines us. And there's a huge difference, especially now as believers uh, today with, under Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We, we are free from punishment. Like there's no punishment, but we still have God's discipline in our life. And that's something to be thankful for. But staying focused on our story for today. The uh, discipline came, and so they were put into under these oppressors for seven years. And this, again, leading to the right, leading them back to where they needed to be, it would lead to repentance. And for that, I want to read verses six and eight, six through eight of chapter six. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, that goes on, and he goes through a list of all of the things that God had done and how he saved them. But this could also be read that God's discipline had its desired effect. That God brought them under discipline, and they cried out to him. They remembered, wait a minute, 
when we were obeying God, when we were following him, things were going really well for us. And so they, again, God's goal is not to punish, but to redirect. And so they cry out to God, and the people become clearly aware of the error of their ways. They're seeing, all right, we've gone the wrong way. We want to go back. So they cry out to God in repentance, realizing the error of their ways. And that's a key element to, again, creating this atmosphere for what's going on in the culture. And this leads to restoration. That it's always after the repentance of the people. When they repent, they see that they've gone the wrong way, that God brings someone in to save them, to restore them. And usually, he restores them more than what they had before. And um, in verse 8, God kind of gives this hope of the restoration to come, reminding them of who he is, that he's the one that brought them out of Egypt. He's the one who saves them. He is their God, the God of Israel. And uh, he's going to send someone to come in as a savior. And like I mentioned earlier, this is like these Christ-like images that we see in the book of Judges. And for them, that was going to be Gideon at this time. So this Christ-like image in the Judges. So this is where Gideon's story starts. In the midst of the people being at their end, to the point where they've, they've been under oppression for seven years. Seven years is a long time to be under oppression. They were having to scrounge for everything that they needed. They were hiding. And that's what I want to look at now in Judges uh, 6 verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. And this is an interesting image. This really stood out to me when I read it, that this verse tells us a lot about the culture, a lot about the climate of what was going on. It was a time of fear, a time of hiding. And any time that we see hiding, it's always connected with a shame. There was a fear and a hiding and a shame that was kind of in the culture that Gideon is called out of. And this reminded me of another time we see this exact same image in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, and I'll read verses 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's something really powerful in this verse that's going to relate what's happening with Israel to us today. That this culture of fear, this kind of idea was born the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. When they sinned, they brought this culture of fear and of shame into the world. As soon as they broke that command of God, this became a part of human nature. Before that, we see them walking and talking with God, no shame, no fear, no feeling of uh, needing to hide from God. They were completely open with him. And as soon as that sin entered the world, 
so did shame, so did fear of God, so did the feeling of needing to hide ourselves from him, feeling our weakness, our smallness compared to him. And uh, this is something that's in our nature now, as human beings, to hide from God. And no matter who you are, if you're born in this world, you're born into that. You're born into that sin nature and this feeling of inferior, well, of feeling inferior to God because you become aware of who you are and your insignificance in comparison to him. And there's no way to break free from that. There's no way to abolish that. We need a savior to do it for us. And that's what the image that we see with the Israelites. They needed a savior. And they got Gideon. Thankfully for us, we have Jesus Christ. Because as we'll see, Gideon, although he was great, he's no Jesus. (laughs) And that's the only way to break that fear. Which now, in Jesus Christ, we don't have to have that. Unfortunately, we still... It's still a part of our human nature, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, it's from this culture of fear, of hiding, of shame, that we see Gideon called. And let's look at that. So, we'll look at verses 11 through 12. This is that angel that came and was kind of prophesying to the people. Now comes to Gideon. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree, oak in Apura. Yes, that belonged. To <laughs> Sorry, we were joking about this. That it looks like Oprah, but anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> Joash, uh, that belonged to Joash. We're gonna get there, and Ab the Abaz. Abazirite? Abazir? That sounded great. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now here's Gideon in a culture of fear, coming out of this kind of a place where in everyone's hiding he's hiding from the midianites and if we look at the verses before we see that when they would come they would camp and they would take everything they would take all the crops all the animals they would leave nothing the oppression was was real was heavy and so they lived in fear and he's literally hiding in a wine press to sort the wheat so from this he's called a mighty warrior and it seems out of place. It seems like, are you, are you talking about the same person? Gideon was scared. He was hiding. He didn't seem so mighty. But what made him mighty was that the Lord was with him, even though at the time he didn't seem very aware of it. But he was a mighty warrior because the Lord was with him. And this is Gideon's initial call from God on his life. This is the moment when everything kind of changes for Gideon. And God's 
got that moment for each one of us. We have a call in our lives. We have this moment, hopefully, when we have this clarity of what God is directing us to do, what God is calling us to do. That each one of us is born in this world that's full of shame, that's full of hiding, full of fear. And we're called out of that to a great and mighty purpose. Everyone, everyone here, if you are a Christian, if you say Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, doesn't mean you live perfectly, but you know him as your Savior, then if you didn't know, I want to remind you, you are a mighty warrior. That's pretty encouraging. That's exciting that we're mighty warriors as followers of Christ. Um, As exciting as it is, you might be thinking, I don't feel so mighty though. And I can relate to that. And so could Gideon. If we look at verse 13... I love how this, this begins, and this, he does this twice, but he opens with, uh, pardon me, my Lord. And there's this kind of like <laughs> quiet meekness, like uh, mighty warrior, excuse me, are you talking about me? <laughs> so, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Hmm. When God puts a call on our lives, when God directs us, sometimes it's, it's easy to feel abandoned when we actually start to look at what God is maybe calling us to do. When we start to look at the scope, the size of maybe what God is moving in our hearts to do, and we start to feel maybe abandoned. And that's, again, because of where we are. We're in this world, a world of fear, a world of lies, a world of, of shame, and it's going to make us feel small. Gideon was coming out of this culture, and he's thinking... Your mighty warrior, who's God? I don't see him working in my life right now. And at those moments, we can feel lost. We can feel like God is a thousand miles away from us. When in reality, it's usually when he's the closest to us. And I think there's two other things we can get from this. When we can look at a situation or a calling that we're facing and think, well, God, why aren't you doing it like you did before? Why aren't you doing it like you did last time? Why aren't you doing it like you did it for for this guy or for this person? Why am I having to feel it? Why am I having to feel so abandoned? Why am I feeling so alone when, you know, this guy's, you know, gets this call and is like, you know, glowing in the dark and just, you know, speaking fire out of his mouth and all this crazy stuff and I'm like struggling for every step. And in those moments, we can feel like God's abandoned us. We can feel like we're alone. And we can wonder, why why aren't you doing it like you did? I've heard all these stories about you doing it this way and that way. And why why aren't you doing that for me? 
you've clearly abandoned me. That's where Gideon's at. Coming out of this culture that we also can relate with in the world we live in today. And feeling abandoned, feeling like, why am I having to do it and go the way that I am? Sometimes right as, as God's about to do some great work in our lives is when this sets in the heaviest, when we can feel like he's the furthest away. But if we look at verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? If it's God that's sending you, just go. And I can speak from my own experience of fighting that, and it doesn't work well. If God is sending you, just go. God will never give us anything to do, any task, any calling, that he doesn't also give us the abilities, the provisions to accomplish it. So he says, go in the strength you have. Not the strength I'm going to give you. He says, in the strength you already have. Because God saw him. God saw Gideon and he sees you. He sees me. He sees us deeper and more in depth than we can see ourselves. We can look at ourselves and quickly point out all the things that are wrong with us. But God knows more about the things that are wrong with us than than we do about ourselves. And so when God says go in the strength that you have, it's because he knows you have the capability to accomplish what he's sending you to do. If God is calling you to go, just go because he knows you. He knows that you're capable to do what he's calling you to do, even if you don't see it as Gideon didn't. Judges six fifteen and 16. Again, pardon me, God. (laughs) Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Even in the light of God's call and God saying, you have what it takes to do it. Gideon's eyes never looked up. He was always focused on himself. He was always focused on his own capabilities, his own weaknesses, his own failures. Not on God and his awesomeness and his greatness because That was what made him mighty. You are a mighty warrior because the Lord is with you. But he never looked up to see God in those situations. He was looking at himself. I'm weak. Me? I'm too weak. I'm the smallest. I'm the least of everybody around me. And everybody around me is the least of everyone in this country. Me? It's easy to look at ourselves and our own strengths and to see how we're not good enough, that we're not educated enough. We don't have the finances 
to do what God's calling us to do. We're too afraid. But of course, if we're looking at ourselves, it's going to seem impossible. Anytime that we're looking at what we're capable of accomplishing, we're going to see that we fall short. But he said, I will be with you. You're not alone. You're not walking that path alone. One, you already have the strength within you because I see you and I know that you do. But second, I'm with you the whole time. Like, What's the worst that could happen if God's walking with you? If God's walking with you step by step when he calls you to do something, to go, what's the worst that could happen? God's there. He said, I am with you. And I'm going to get real with you guys. Uh, <laughs> so I, in high school, I thought uh, it would be really easy to uh, take a speech class because I thought that'd be an easy A. I hated talking in front of people. I hated it. But I was like, well, the class is like 10 people. I'll push through it, whatever. And turned to find out we had to do a speech for the whole school, like three times in the year. And just thinking about it makes my heart race. It was like the worst experience of my life. I hated talking in front of people. And when I uh, had to give that speech, I was like, I was holding onto the podium like this. I remember like, well, and I was like, all right, I have to look up at least once. And I looked up and it was like my heart stopped. And I was like, I mean, I was physically shaking and I was frozen And I was like, all right, don't look up again. Just look down, read the speech, and get out of there. And so I I pushed through it. I read it as fast as I could. I didn't look up again. And I got off the stage, failed speech class. And uh, and I was like, you know, people say that there's it's more common to have a fear of, of public speaking than of death. And I can tell you, in that moment, I was praying that God come back now. I'm ready. I'd, please no more. It was terrifying. And that stuck with me. Let me tell you, that really, that experience stuck with me. And then a few years later, God comes to me and in a time of prayer, he says, I'm calling you to be a speaker of my truth. And I, like Gideon, said, uh, excuse me, God speaker of truth uh i could write truth i could be the blogger of truth uh i don't think uh i don't think you have the right person when you say speaker of truth do you not remember speech class i like was praying for death sweet release and so i that's why gideon is one of my favorite stories because I know that experience. I know those, uh, pardon me, God. Me, I'm the weakest. I can't stand in front of people for more than two minutes without sweating. You want me to speak to people? And I didn't believe it, though. I'll be honest. God put it on my heart, and I didn't believe it. And then here I am standing, talking to you guys. And it's crazy how... God led me through that experience. And I I still get nervous. I get nervous every time I come up here. But I've learned more and more that he's with me. 
and I don't stand up here alone. I don't do anything that he calls me to do alone. And even though the devil tells me many times, especially when I have something, a time I have to speak in front of a, a new crowd or maybe a little bit bigger crowd or something that I'm not used to or on a topic I'm not really comfortable with, the devil will be like, God's going to leave you in the middle of, of the message. And that's one of, that terrifies me, that I'm going to stand up here to speak God's word and he's going to leave me. And the devil repeatedly tries to convince me of that. But I know that it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think because of what God said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when he calls us to do something, he says, I will be with you. I will go with you. And so if God's calling you to do something and you have fear or you're challenged, I can tell you, not just from Gideon's example, but from my own, God will be with you. It's the devil that's telling you he won't. He doesn't want you to do what God's calling you to do because what would, what would happen if we all did what God's calling us to do? It'd be crazy. It'd be radical. Things would be changing in the world fast. It's fear, I think, more than anything else that prevents us from moving forward in what God wants to do. It's fear more than anything else. That's the devil's greatest tool against us because we all have fears and he'll find a way to twist that to prevent you from answering the call that God has on your life. So I want to encourage you guys with that. I know, I know that fear is powerful, but God's more powerful and he will be with you. You just have to step out in that, even though it's hard. I know. <laughs> I stand up here as an, a testament to that. <laughs> so, continuing, Gideon he felt the same. He was challenged. Let's look at verse 17. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now, I want to encourage you guys with this, that there is a time for us to test that it is the Lord. If you feel like God's calling you to do something, we should test to see that it really is from God. In 1 John 4, 1 through 2, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have, been, have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So I really, I'm going to go through this point really quick because I kind of touched on it as I was talking about my experience that the devil roams around like a lion seeking whom he can devour. And he is called the father of lies. And so we need to test whether or not something's from the spirit of God. And that is really easy. Is it go against the word of God? Is it going to compromise or destroy my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's not from God. If it follows those two, the next step is to get advice from somebody you trust. Go to your pastor. Go to a believer that you can confide in. God's calling you to do something. Take that next step. Take an action and seek him on it. And Gideon does. He takes action. He uh, 
presents a, he, pull, he does a test. He presents some, an offering to the angel. The angel touches his staff to it and it bursts into flames. And at that time, that was a pretty good sign. It was, it was from God. And uh, it was a, a sign that God used quite often, going all the way back to the burning bush when he first speaks with Moses. And so it was from God. And we see that in verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the angel disappears. And it's quite clear, I think is the key that we need to grab from this, is that he knows it's from the Lord. It's clear that this, he, he, gets, he asks for a sign, he tests it, Make sure, okay, God is the one telling me to do this. It is the Lord. And that's a key thing that we need to kind of consider in our own lives. God's putting something on your heart, maybe leading you in something, maybe something small, maybe something big. Test it. Make sure it is the Lord. He did, and it was. But then, we can continue. In Judges... uh, 25 or 625 through 26 God calls Gideon to do something with this and this is God's first kind of initial the initial work so God's saying you're going to save Israel mighty warrior and he knows it he tested it's from the Lord and God's like all right now I want you to destroy the idols in your hometown small task considering that he's called to save Israel and uh, I'd love to tell you that he's like, all right, I know God's telling me to do this. Bam, I'm going to go and just storm in there and tear down those idols. But what happens in verse 27? So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the day, daytime. Maybe you know that feeling. I know I do. It's, we want to stand up. We want to do what God's calling us to do. We want to move forward. But fear brings us back again. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to the mission field. Called to go and to spread God's word. But, you know, I could just donate for a while first and then maybe see how it feels and Gideon is taking it slow, taking it easy, still holding on to his fears. He's moving forward. He's doing what God called him to do, but he's kind of doing it very cautiously. And I I think that there's, as we look at the story of Gideon, we can see that God's very merciful towards him and very gracious towards him in this because he is moving forward. He is trying. And again, he's coming out of a culture that was just built around fear and this hiding And so uh, he's merciful toward him. He is doing what God called him to do, but he does it in the dark because he's afraid. And I want to, this just kind of made me think of this idea that we want to be effective for God. But let's not just be effective. Let's Let's be warriors for God in the light. Let's do it in the day. Let's do it where the world can see Let's be mighty warriors for God, for the world to see. And I think there's something powerful that if, and he gets caught anyway. I mean, he tries to hide, but everybody, you know, it's a small town, you know, 
If you live in a small town, you know everyone tells everybody everything. Didn't take long for everyone to figure out it was Gideon that did it. So it didn't work anyway. And so he could have just stormed in there right then while they were in the middle of a worship session and just tore down the the idols. But he didn't. He did it in the dark. And so I think being that we live in the world that we live in, let's try to represent Christ mightily in the light for all to see. I think there's something in that. So continuing on. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 36 and look at Gideon's kind of final tests. So in between, God, the Spirit, it says the Spirit of the Lord came on, on Gideon. He's, he blows a trumpet and kind of calls all the people, all the warriors to come to fight. And uh, he knows God's called him to do this. He's, made, he's taken action. He's kind of set things in motion. He has the, the people are gathering to him to fight, but Gideon's fear, still a part of who he is. We read verse in verse 36 and through 38. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. It's quite interesting to me that he knows that God's called him to do it. He's seen God be faithful. And still, he holds on to his fear. And honestly... This is where, again, I really see God's mercy shining through and God's grace with Gideon. That there must have been something in Gideon's heart that we don't even see here in the text. We do see it, I think, later in Gideon's story. But, I mean, that's borderline blasphemy. I mean, he's like, God, I know you promised to do this, but then he still has kind of the audacity to be like, if you're going to really do what you said you're going to do, let me test you again. And God's always true to his word. God is always faithful to what he says he's going to do. His promises are fact. (laughs) They are definite. And still Gideon tests that and kind of, I really feel like he's kind of pushing the boundaries. It reminds me of uh, a few other stories where that happens in the Bible, but we don't have time to get into it now. I want to just point out that there is something in Gideon that God sees. And I think that there's, a, there's a, a desire in his heart to believe more. There's a desire in his heart that he really wants to believe 100%. And I think that's why God is gracious to kind of grant him these requests again and again, because he sees that Although Gideon, Gideon has this fear, but he's dealing with the fear. He's trying to overcome the fear that he struggles with, that he struggles with actually all through his life. But God's gracious to him. And if, but if we read in uh, the rest of the chapter, so 39 and 40, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. I need another test. 
Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Kind of makes me question, you know, how many, how many tests, how many signs are we allowed to do? How many times can we ask God, I need a sign, I need a sign. And I know this in my own life. When I told you that like, God put this on my heart, to, that I would, he was calling me to speak, even though I was terrified, even though I was, like, didn't believe it. It didn't seem feasible. And so I asked God for a lot of signs, a lot of fleece situations where I just needed, you know, a reassurance. And so I really relate with this. And I think it's all about how we go about that. We can't demand things from God. We can't be, you know, we can't need a sign every day. We can't just, all right, God, if you want me to do this, you got to do this for me first. We see him, hey, don't be angry with me. And I think, I think you could kind of read between the lines of it's more of, hey, God, don't be upset with me, but I'm still struggling with fear. I'm still seeing myself as weak. I'm still seeing myself as not strong enough. I know that you're calling me to do this. I know you promised to do it. But I just, I don't know. I, I still see myself as how could you use me to do this thing that you're calling me to do? So show me, God, because I want to believe. I want to give all that I have. I want to give 100%, but I'm just, I'm struggling. I think that's the heart that we see in between the lines of this text, that it has to be done in reverence of God. God is sovereign and great and powerful and mighty, creator of the heavens and the earth. And so when he calls us to do something, it's, there are those who really can jump on that right away, but maybe you're somebody who's like, I don't know, I, I'm still struggling with fear. I'm still struggling with grasping what you're calling me to do. And so I want to encourage you that it's okay to come to him with this humble heart, with a reverence for who he is and saying, I believe that you are who you say you are and you'll do what you say you'll do. I just can't seem to get past looking here, looking at myself. And when we do, God's gonna help us deal with that problem, that problem of self-doubt. And that's the key. The problem isn't God. The problem isn't that, the problem really isn't you because you obviously have what it takes. God wouldn't have told you to do it. He wouldn't have called you to what he's called you to do if you didn't. The problem is the way you see yourself. And we want to try to overcome that because really, it's, you're not saying anything bad about yourself. You're saying that you don't trust God's judgment. That he it was wrong in the way he sees you. That you see yourself better than he sees you. And that can be a dangerous thing. And there's a really great example of this that I want to close with. And uh, it's one of my favorite uh, verses in the New Testament, with, especially with dealing with doubt. And it's in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. And um, a man with a, a demon-possessed son comes to Jesus. And he's, you know, he's violent and struggling and... And in verse 23, it says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, 
all things are possible for him who believes. Actually, I want to stop there because this, I don't really like the way that's worded. If you can believe is actually, Jesus is kind of responding to him. So the man is kind of like, comes with his son, is like, you know, if you could do something, it would be, you know, that would be good. And Jesus is like, if you believe, anyone who believes, all things are possible for, the, for him who believes. So he's kind of pointing it back to him. Hey, strengthen your faith. I know that I'm capable of, of healing him, but you have to believe. It's the way that you're dealing with your doubt. And so the man immediately seems to grasp this because in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think it's one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. It's the same thing Gideon is crying with, God, don't be angry with me. I need another, I need another fleece. God, I, I believe, but I still struggle with unbelief. We need to take that step and say, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. When we have doubts, when we have fears, when we have struggles about what God is calling us to do and where God has placed you might be what God's called you to do. Wherever you are, you know, wherever you are, that's where you are. And God is wanting to work through us. God has a purpose for each and every one of us, a call in each and every one of our lives. And we can find that in our everyday. And if you're struggling with, God, how could God use me? Then I encourage you to pray that prayer. Because God loves to help us with our unbelief. God loves to strengthen us. He doesn't mind giving us those signs and those fleeces. If we're coming to him with reverence because we truly want to do more for him. We truly want to give 100%. We want to believe all the way. But as we looked at in, in Galatians, that we have a duality to ourselves. We have our spirit and our flesh, and our flesh is born in this world, of this culture of fear and of shame. And it's always going to be something that's a part of us. If we come to him and say, Lord, I believe, Help me with my unbelief. He's always faithful to meet us there. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we close. And so I encourage you to take that action as Gideon did. He asked for a sign and he moved forward with what God was calling him to do. Even though he did it in the dark, even though he did it slowly and with some fear, he still moved forward with what God was calling him to do. And so I want to encourage you to always be moving forward in your relationship with him. And the best way to improve our faith, to help with our unbelief, is to do that, is to be stepping out in faith, to be stepping and trusting him and believing him. And so Gideon was called out of this culture of fear to be a mighty warrior. And so are we. We're called to be mighty warriors. It's normal for us to want to check that calling to make sure it's from the Lord. But when we know it is, we have to come to this point where we stop looking inward, stop looking at ourselves and our own weaknesses and our own abilities and our own resources and trust that God will provide for everything we need to accomplish what he's calling us to accomplish. So I want to encourage you guys, let's stand, let's worship God. God is mighty. God is great. And what greater 
reason to worship him than that he's called us also mighty.